I'm Dave Minocco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. We bring the second season of the From My Angle podcast to a close today with the last set of perspectives on a key phrase from our mission statement, complex global society. Having touched on the theme of diversity in today's global society in the last episode with Kenneth Chapman, I wanted to shift our focus to the changing world of work in this edition, and no one was better positioned to help us explore this than Darla Whitaker. Darla is the Senior Vice President for Human Resources at Texas Instruments, or TI as we know it in these parts. This Dallas-founded company now does $15 billion in annual revenue, serving customers in over 30 countries across the globe. The global workforce Darla oversees for TI features 30,000 employees. Darla also happens to be a parish parent. Her daughter, Jordan, is in the eighth grade. In this edition of the From Angle podcast, Darla and I discuss what is similar and what has changed for job seekers entering the workforce. We then talk about what characteristics and skills employers most value today, how well our present education model is preparing young people to excel in this modern workplace, and whether the college degree will hold as the signal for employers of a candidate's readiness for work in today's globally competitive marketplace. I hope you will enjoy this conversation with Darla Whitaker. Darla Whitaker, welcome to the From My Angle podcast. Thanks, Dave. I'm happy to be here. I know you are. You are just thrilled to spend some time being recorded this afternoon, but we're really glad to have you here. You're a parent, but you also uh, are in the world of work today, and that's our topic as we talk about preparing students for the complex global society, like what's changing out there in the world of work, and uh, no one can be better positioned to share some insights with us. So tell our community who don't know you as a mom of Jordan, uh, tell, tell the community what, uh, what it is that you do professionally. Oh, thanks, Dave. I am the uh, Senior Vice President of Human Resources at Texas Instruments. How does one get to that position from a career pathway Mm. standpoint? Well, for me, I started at TI actually when I was 18. (laughs) And I know that's, you know, in dog years, that's a long time. But um, quite honestly, my parents couldn't afford to send me to school. And Mm. TI had a program where they would pay for your college and you actually got paid time off to go to school. Wow. So I found TI um, and got into that program and got my electrical engineering degree at SMU and then did engineering for about four or five years mm-hmm. um, and then moved to my real passion, which is HR. Mm-hmm. Um, so inside of HR, I've done a lot of different jobs. Sometimes they're lateral for new skills, sometimes mm-hmm. for promotions. I did a stint overseas in Taipei and Singapore. And then about 2006, I was lucky enough to move into into this role as head of HR. Do you, do you get form? There are formal training programs for human resources clearly yes. in business schools today. Where where did yours come? If your degree was in electrical engineering, uh, when did you pivot and did you go back and get retrained? Yeah, so it's a good question. When I really started thinking about is this what I want to do forever? Mm-hmm. I went and got an MBA nah. with a with a concentration in human resources at University of Dallas. Yeah, so that was really where the where that where that focus came. So I suspect most of our listeners who are parents in the community know what TI does, but maybe in case they don't, give sure. us give us the high level uh, brand differentiators and targets markets of TI. Sure. So TI 
is a semiconductor company. I'm sure people think of it as the calculator company. <laughs> right. um, and we're very proud of our calculator business. We still have that, but mainly it's a semiconductor company. We manufacture and sell and design analog and embedded chips, so integrated circuits. And you experience them, I experience them every day with things like our phones, mm -hmm. laptops, mm -hmm. connected homes, all the electronics in your car, even things like smart thermostats and all the way down to like smoke detectors. So think of it as basically anything at all that has electronics in it, there's TI parts in there. Mm. If you think about TI from a scale standpoint, uh, in 2018, we were 15.8 billion in revenue and have like 30,000 employees around the world, um, operate in more than 30 countries, and we have more than 100,000 customers. Mm. So pretty big from a scale, from a scale standpoint. Really is started by one of Dallas's uh, really leading leaders, and Eric Johnson. You know, you can uh, hear legendary stories of his work, not just as the founder of TI, but of course as mayor of the city, and really one would say the unifier of the Metroplex when he connected uh, Fort Worth and Dallas uh, through really uh, shepherding the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport into being. So uh, the the company has a true global presence, but a really important. Uh, Dallas history uh, to it is to it as well, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, it does. I mean, actually, we have a we do have a lot to um, to give to our owners, or a lot to be proud of from what they started. Um, today, I would tell you a lot of things that they brought are still in our culture. Things like, you know, we try to act like owners who will be here for decades to mm -hmm. come, right? Which you know we can look back at them and say, gosh, we got that from them. Mm -hmm. um, really focusing on being able to adapt in an ever changing world. Um, and then also being a company where you know people are proud to work, but we're also where people are proud to have us as their neighbor. Yep. And I would say a lot of that came from, from our founders. Yeah, for sure. So Senior Vice President of Human Resources, 30,000 employees, suffice to say you're not hiring every single one of them. So before we uh, segue into the world of work that you uh, essentially have dedicated your career to and have seen change over the last a uh, couple of decades. What does a senior vice president of human resources focus his or her time on? That's a that's a good question. So, you know, people call it different things. You might hear chief human resources yes. officer, chief people officer, um, but it's basically the same. It's the person responsible for talent strategies. So you think about things like finding, recruiting, hiring the best people around the world, growing and developing the people that work in the company, retaining, engaging the workforce. Um, building a pipeline of great future leaders that are diverse. Um, and then I'll say it last, but you know, it's really foundational and that is maintaining our culture of strong ethics um, mm -hmm. and values. And so other things, but that kind of really probably encompasses the majority of what the team does. Actually, everybody you hire has to uh, align with and hopefully manifest the values of the company. So that hiring piece is, is, really, is really important. And yeah, I, I know schools like Parrish, um, this is my close to 30th year in independent schools, and I think um, the first director of human resources I worked for was about 15 years ago. That was a new, that, that's a new business function in independent schools the size of Parish. They just, they didn't have them. They had essentially business officers, not even CFOs. Uh, and so it's really in the last two decades that you've even seen uh, independent schools like ours, which are small to medium-sized, $30 million businesses, right, nowhere near in scale and size to a TI is, actually begin to function 
as businesses and think strategically about the hiring and leadership development elements that uh, that, that you just described. So um, there's there's relevance in terms of what you do to what we aspire to do here at school as in uh, terms of how we hire uh, hire adults. And we have had episodes on in the very recent uh, past about our work culture with two of our faculty members talking about uh, the strategy and incisiveness we actually try to bring into the hiring uh, process. So it's important work yeah. for companies big uh, big and small. But this next section of the conversation, I really want to do kind of this focus on then and now, right? Because our mission statement's clear. We're preparing students for the complex global society. And I suspect you would say, and arguably over your time as a human resources professional, you've seen uh, the, the world become more complex and global and your company's right squarely in the middle of it. So like, if you reflect back to when you started as a agent in human resources and determining who would come in to the company set and now what that work entails, how, how, is it, how has it changed? What, mm -hmm. What's different about hiring uh, good people now than it was, uh, let's say, 15 to 20 years ago? Yeah, um, you know, maybe it's helpful to even start with saying, what's the same? Right. Because uh, mm -hmm. there are definitely things that are the same. Mm -hmm. You know, they're basic. We fundamentally hire engineers then, and we hire engineers now in a company that's grounded in innovation, so that's key. Mm -hmm. All of our professional hires still need four-year degrees, right? So we consider that to be important. Mm -hmm. um, and then we look for things like um, people that are have certain characteristics. They're committed. They're passionate. Um, they're driven. They're collaborative. They're self-starters. That's all the same. And have the, are the tools that you use to uh, suss that out of a candidate the same? No, that's, a, that's really interesting. <laughs> so today, um, if somebody were to, to interview at TI, and I'll pick particularly from our college hiring, so 65% right. um, of our hiring is through college. So we hire between interns and new college grads mm -hmm. over 2,000 a year. Mm -hmm. um, that first touch point with TI will typically be a video. Right. So, and it's not talking to somebody. It is, it's a video. And so even that, you know, kind of tool where somebody gets to watch somebody's video and assess them and think about what kinds of questions they answer. And, and you front-loaded the questions into said program. Correct. This is a human resource portal or, or program platform Correct. that you all use. You've been able to front-load the questions in there. And yes. really from a time efficiency standpoint for your own team, right, you can push those out to a wider number of candidates and then receive their... Uh, digital responses to the um, to, to those questions as if they were talking to a, a FaceTime <laughs> like to, to their screen and you get to see them answering those answering those questions are those timed responses for they the are. candidates mm -hmm. yeah, so, so they, they only to, have a certain amount of time yeah. so you can't go research while you're doing it uh -huh. right and so um, but you're right the tool is as much for effectiveness and efficiency um, and so there's that and then even just the kinds of questions that people ask, very behavioral based, mm -hmm. you know, getting people to describe experiences. That's different than when I interviewed at TI. Yeah, so the tools are different, but you're looking for four-year degree engineers, you're looking for passion and engagement uh, on, on those tasks. What's, diff what's different mm -hmm. in terms of the hiring landscape now than it was 20 to 25 years ago? I would, I would tell you the biggest difference is the jobs themselves. So um, why, don't I, why don't I pick an example? Right. And, and I'll pick one of the engineering roles that I did. Okay. So I was an applications engineer, mm -hmm. and the applications engineer's job is to go meet with whatever customers they're responsible for. Let's say it's a drone customer, and you need to figure out what that customer needs to make their drone the best, mm -hmm. the lightest, the cheapest, the fastest, whatever it is they need, mm -hmm. um, and how can you use TI technology to get you there? And when I did it, 
you had a certain territory mm -hmm. and I mean you literally would even have books of parts you know just to go and products as in TI products when you were talking to them today that same application engineer um, she could sit in her office and never go to a customer may never actually go visit hmm. um, could handle way more accounts than I could handle because there are all these data analytics that that person now gets and so all the analytics from whatever it is that engineer at the customer has gone online and looked at what kinds of designs do they look at what kinds of parts do they look at what kind of technical documentation and use all of that data mm -hmm. she has to turn it into information and figure out oh that's a drone customer and they're looking for this kind of help and so now how do i help them mm -hmm. and so the skills that people need today are um, just different than they were in the past and so and I could pick any job and really change that I, I think a lot of times people think technology changes in the sense that it um, eliminates jobs right things mm -hmm. that can be automated mm -hmm. um, but even in that example I just told you created jobs so harder jobs more complex jobs the data analytics job mm -hmm. somebody to go do all that programming to create the analytics to give that person the tools mm -hmm. um, or the person has to go out and study drone systems or thermostat systems or whatever and put all those systems together mm -hmm. on our website so customers can recognize what they're looking for so I mean that's just two examples of jobs that got created mm -hmm. um, and new jobs that didn't even exist um, back when I was an engineer. It, it, at least in your instance, is driven by the, the burgeoning world of data. Yes. So one might presume if they're a listener that uh, their child or grandchild that uh, has an affinity for numbers, for math, for patterns, for logic. Correct. Right, uh, may, may want to uh, be thinking about a career uh, that works in, in data analytics and, and, uh, and, and numbers. But I, I mean, I wonder what else you're seeing as the world's become more interconnected and more global and the pace of change is um, has really accelerated for TI, I'm sure, right, to remain a competitive, um, you know, multi-billion dollar company. Like, are, has it changed what you're looking for in a candidate beyond some of those characteristics you mentioned at the top? Uh, solid degree background, solid content understanding of engineering, for example, uh, passion. Uh, you know, are you looking for other traits or characteristics mm -hmm. that are um, somehow different or more nuanced than you were 20 to 25 years ago? Maybe pace of change? globalization, interconnectivity, those types of things weren't so much in play? Sure. Um, there, I think there's not any question that the skills or the, and the, that people need today or will need, I think, even going forward are different. And, and um, uh, a couple that come to mind are one is critical thinking yeah. uh, and the ability to solve more complex problems. Your and examples so, just your examples just hinted at that, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. To be able to take all that data and turn it into information, to know how to go do my job. Um, you know, that's different and you know, I would call that a more complex problem. Um, you know, one thing that I ask people all the time, when you find somebody who's good but you have somebody who's great, what's the difference? Um, and people will say, and they might use different words, but they, it's curiosity. It's curiosity, it's that continuous learning. You know, people are always looking for, trying to understand, growing and, and developing themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but, but embedded in that, always wanting to learn and being curious. Mm -hmm. And so clearly very important and getting even more so um, another I would say is the desire and ability to adapt skills hmm. so pick that um, applications engineer example mm -hmm. 
we have brand new people that we're bringing in out of school and you can teach them how to do the job if they didn't already know you mm -hmm. can actually help and teach them the tools but we also have people who've done that job for 10 and 20 years and they need to, to learn how to do that job and so that ability to adapt to change mm -hmm. because that change didn't happen overnight it has been an evolution and so even that college grad that we bring in mm -hmm. next month next year has to have new skills mm -hmm. Right and, and, so. be, and be ready and, and prepared and curious enough to go pursue them. Correct. And not be like, what? I spent all my time in school for four years. What do you mean I need to go get more training, right? You can't have that sort of resistance to, to growth and, and, and evolution. But that's an interesting segue, I think, to where we want to take this conversation, which is around changing world of work, uh, faster moving uh, environment in which companies are trying to stay competitive real demand to get high quality people into the pipeline, uh, both to do the work of the moment, but to become leaders of the organization later. Um, you are, as you as you've said, uh, a company that's really reliant on the college graduate. Um, I know you talk to peers in your industry, Google would be a good example, where you know they're saying anywhere from eight to 12% of their employees coming in now are not possessive of a college degree. There is uh, a lot of um, uh, chatter uh, in the world of work around the uh, effectiveness of the college degree and how well college graduates are even prepared when companies are hiring them. A lot of frustration articulated by hiring agents like yourself that uh, you know they're going to college campuses and the kids they're bringing in don't have the curiosity, don't have the critical thinking skills, don't have the uh, um, uh, interest in, in continued learning. They've essentially been stuffed full of information in schools in a constrained system that has not prepared them to be agile of mind in the way that uh, that you might be seeking. So uh, you guys have stayed pretty committed to hiring the college graduate. Do you think colleges at the moment are generally giving you the, the quality of people that you need and the quantity that you need them to do the jobs you need them to do? Mm, yeah, uh, it's a great question and one thing is we are we are looking for people on a global basis and so mm. that's you know that's colleges <laughs> around the world but mm. if you and I stick to U.S. colleges, one, no, there's not enough, right? In fact, it's part of the reason why you have, you know, you're going global, one, just because you're a global company, but also be just to find talent. Um, but in general, I would say universities are doing a pretty good job, um, but we clearly have to, we have to train people when they get in. Mm. And so for the first X amount of time, when we get new college grads in, they go to class. They go, if they're an engineer, they have a week-long engineering class to learn the, some of the basics and the tools. But all of them, we put in a couple of classes called Career, on, Career 101 and Perform 101. And it is just how do you function? How do you function and work? How do you think? How do you do things like um, have good conversation with your manager about performance expectations? Receive feedback. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. how do you handle difficult yeah. feedback? Yeah. Because you're going to get it. Yeah. And because... No, nobody's perfect and, and um, if all we ever do is tell you the good stuff we're not helping you very much and mm -hmm. so you know it's it's how you um, recognize how important it is to build connections at work because you need them to get your job done mm -hmm. and so there's some of those kind of fundamentals just how do you work how do you behave how do you do things like that at work um, and again, do, you, do you see that uh, to interrupt I mean no, no. Do, do you see that as a um, an indictment of colleges Should colleges be 
preparing students to sort of continue to be have their focus be to prepare uh, students to be broad broad of thinking to introduce them to new ideas to give them this sort of social and uh, social development that goes along being 18 to 22 or in your estimation does there need to be uh, a, gr a greater point of emphasis or infusion of these types of work preparedness skills into the collegiate experience um, there certainly could be because mm -hmm. we didn't um, we didn't develop those programs just because we didn't have anything else to do, yeah. right? We developed those specifically for our college Necessity, graduates yeah. because it was a gap. Right. Right? It was something that you could see people needed to understand and learn. And that's not unique to us. I know a lot of other companies are doing the Completely. same. Completely. Um, but if I were to pick, I would absolutely pick the focus to be on those other things, the critical, the critical mm -hmm. thinking, mm -hmm. the curiosity, mm -hmm. adaptability. Another one, and I would tell you this one may be even the one they have the hardest time with, is um, working in the gray, working in ambiguity, mm -hmm. um, because there's not a right and a wrong answer. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of gray, mm -hmm. and you know, thinking through a problem, applying judgment, and then even balancing an ideal outcome with what's practical. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of, of thinking skills, um, I think, are really valuable. As a matter of fact, I'll pick my own experience at Parrish with, with Jordan being at Parrish. Mm -hmm. Or even something that um, I asked you once when you first got here, you, mm -hmm. I'm sure you won't remember. Because um, there's only one of you and there's lots <laughs> of us. <laughs> yeah. um, there was some, art, you wrote you know, one yeah. of the articles that you write mm -hmm. and it had something to do with the breadth outside of just the academics. Mm -hmm. And I took it as downplaying the academics and I sent you mm -hmm. a note mm -hmm. and you you did not say, oh, thank you, Mrs. Whitaker, you're right. You said, no, let me help you understand. Mm -hmm. um, it's all these other things that are just as important. Right. Um, how people learn and think and do things on their own, mm -hmm. how they learn in different settings. And I can see that. I can yeah. see that in the kids um, here versus even kids at other schools. And so I think it's actually really important. But as we you know, talked about in this podcast, and really and certainly in writing and, and other presentations to parents and the work we're doing under this reimagined brand is, is, this, is this idea that the, that, the, that, the, that the structures and standardizations and routine um, um, uh, formations, architecture of schools, if you, if you just look at them objectively, though we're all comfortable with them, because we've all been to school and schools all felt the same and we're all doing okay, so why do we need to change it? The reality is most of the skills that you're talking about are very difficult to cultivate uh, in schools that remain subject-based, teacher-directed, um, consume and regurgitate, you know, a lot of the words and phraseology that I use here with, with our audiences, uh, we are trying to reimagine and to a certain degree loosen some of the strictures of, of the school model because we think the complex global society that we're trying to prepare creative learners and bold leaders for um, just cannot continue to operate on a one-size-fits-all standardized track. It's just not going to optimally prepare our kids. Uh, they will leave degreed and credentialed. They will have nice transcripts. They will meet some of the outcome metrics they, they, uh, they, they need to. But at 22, when they finish doing pretty much the same thing at our colleges and universities, they're going to walk in with varying degrees of readiness and success in the work conditions that you and other companies are hiring them for. Thus, your hiring programs, right? Like, right. That's what everybody's. That's what everybody's having to do. I sent you an article which I'd commend to um, 
our work community by Jeff Salino, who was on a podcast episode of mine uh, a couple a couple of months ago, in which he talks about this changing world of work and sort of how how work is really driven education changes, right? Uh, waves of uh, of change. The, the most uh, um, the, 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 the most evident one being industrial. Uh, changes of the early 20th century and how they routinized school, right? That was ultimately what we were preparing kids to go do, to work in very routinized work worlds. And he's talked about this third wave of, of uh, work uh, that is changing how education is, is going to set up. And invariably, it gets back to what you were talking about, that uh, students are going to leave at 22 from a four-year college experience and go into a education experience is going to go from 22 to 72 really for as long as they're as they're working so talk a little bit about not just that initiation to uh, the work-life programming but how do you continue to cycle your employees through education throughout their lifetime or work time with you at TI what does that look like that's mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things that I think people a lot of times come out of school and they think about it as how do I get trained and I would actually tell you that only maybe 10% of somebody's growth is real training the way they've experienced it in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and even that small 10% has changed a lot. So instead mm. of classroom training with instructors, not even video conferencing, but just chunk size, bite-sized chunks of, of learning that you can go to anytime you want. Yep. Right? And so even as you're putting together the actual material and content for actual training, it's completely different because it needs to be on demand when I need it, hmm. in whatever setting, wherever I am, that I can just go access it. Not necessarily degree, but you're, you know, there's badging credentials, mm-hmm. uh, just in time training, as you're mentioning, which can be really quick. So, do you offer that within house? Yes. And that's part of your that's part of your oversight, I suspect, out of uh, people development human resources, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's part of our organization. And then the the other majority of somebody's growth and development is experiences. Um, it is what are you getting on your job you know what new experience do you get what kind of project what kind of opportunity and so all of that growth and development happens every day uh, with people yeah so I wanted to wrap up t- talking about this uh, degree is the only pathway you know because clearly TI has remained adherent to it and I mean you all do have uh, inarguably a, a, a sort of specified tranche of, of expertise that you're looking for with with engineers but I am uh, a little more bullish on the notion that um, a four-year college experience from 18 to 22 for every uh, individual, even kids that uh, are well-resourced and, uh, and prepared as kids come out of Paris is not necessarily the best step for kids after, um, after they leave here. And increasingly, uh, research and evidence is suggesting a broadening set of options for kids to get to uh, a life of meaning and purpose um, that uh, might uh, have them do something other than go right to college after parish. Do you see TI at any point in time moving away from the degree as the only signal of preparedness or readiness for a work experience with you? Um, you know, it's a, it's a really good question, and I would say it's probably a journey that is, you know, maybe we're just in the very beginning of and there's not any doubt that still, and I'm gonna stick with engineering, but even the other, you know, human resources, finance, whatever, all of the functions like that that we have inside the company, we still do, like I said, require the degree. But when you're interviewing, you're gonna have five people with a degree. 
And I just made it five, of course, right? Sure. But you can have five people with a degree. Oh. But what sets one of them apart is typically not the degree. It's not the grades that they got, mm -hmm. because everybody needs a baseline of good grades. Mm -hmm. It's the other things that they do. It's the experiences they've had. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's leadership that they've demonstrated right. or creativity they've demonstrated. Um, it's passion. So uh, I was talking to somebody recently, and they said they were looking for a data analyst person. And they have you know, a couple of people they had interviewed from different schools, good grades, good schools. And the person they chose, it had nothing to do with their grades in their school. I mean, obviously, what mm -hmm. they learned did. But this particular person had a real passion for sports. And so for their university, they created an analytics tool um, to predict some things in their sports. Yep. And nobody asked them to do that. They didn't have it as a, a class assignment. They didn't have it as a work assignment. They had it as an area of passion, mm -hmm. right? That just showed that that person took what they learned. Did they have to do it for four years to learn it? I don't know, but they showed what they learned mm -hmm. and then they applied it. That, you know, if that's kind of a credential or a thing yes. why you're talking about it, yep. but that, you know, that ability to take something and, and show what you can do yep. Um, clearly sets a person apart. Yeah, know? so if you think ahead, our youngest uh, parish Episcopal kids are, you know, three and four years old. They graduate from here in the year 2033, 2034. Um, you know, I see companies like Credly or even LinkedIn, uh, Indeed, um, Google, Amazon, who knows, right? Beginning to work backwards and say, you know, here's, here's an 18-year-old of significant raw material, right? gone through a good preparatory experience um, they they want to pursue data analytics they want to pursue accounting they want to pursue e even uh, something related to uh, as, as sophisticated as engineering um, and Credly's already doing this here are a series of tasks that you can go complete get badged in that complete it show your mastery of it get a badge upload it to uh, our site you now have a digital portfolio push the digital portfolio out to employer and when employers begin to turn the corner on the anxiety that comes with hiring somebody off the beaten path of the degree and see that signal of a digital portfolio or a set of credentials or badges you know, that's where i think you're going to see a tipping point and we may be getting closer than we think Future You podcast with Michael Horn and Jeff Saligno just listened to a recent episode. I commend it to you on this notion of badging and credentialing. 50% of the employers, equal measure, said, I favor the signal of the degree over I, I favor the signal of credentials and, and badges. And so what does that mean for our three-year-old or four-year-old at Parish now? I'm not so sure, but we pivoted our college counseling office to a center for college and life planning. We can we, in, we are going to endeavor to get smarter on those pathways beyond four years of college uh, as the only outcome of paying a lot of dollars to go to a place like Parrish, uh, to work with families and our students around uh, exploration. Uh, maybe it's a year, maybe it's two years after Parrish, where the types of experiences you had at TI as an 18-year-old, right, which were very powerful and, and central, could be something we curate for families and, and, and kids uh, so that those students, uh, if they have those for 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, when they go to invest at that time, 85 to $90,000 a year for a college education, they have a sense that they're investing with a greater degree of, uh, of, of, of cer certainty about where, where it might take them.
you know, and I think that's, I think the world of work's only going to get more complicated, right? I mean, it's not, it's not like it's going to get any more simple, right? And so I just think that's an interesting point of conversation for where you all are seeing, seeing the world, seeing the world go from a hiring standpoint. I think, I think it's a really good point. And as you were talking about it, I was even thinking about um, the way we develop people after they come to TI. Right. I just said a minute ago, 10% is classroom, right? That whole other 90% is about experiences and things that people are learning that aren't in the classroom. And so why not? Why not imagine that that can transition to, you know, college and, and earlier versus mm-hmm. just after you get there? And so I think you're right in, in the, the things that you've been studying. Um, it is going to change mm-hmm. exactly what it changes to. Uh, we still have to see, but there isn't any question that experiences can be as valuable as what somebody gets in a classroom. Yeah, because you know, at the end of the day, a lot of what we see in the anxiety and stress of our students and our and our model uh, in in our schools, really across the United States, not just at Parish, uh, and what we're seeking to reimagine is to create not just a preparatory experience for the complex global society, but a healthier preparatory experience. There's so much stress and anxiety that exudes out of chasing the outcome to get into the you know, fewer than ten, fewer than uh, uh, there's 17 colleges in the United States that accept te- you know 10 or uh, percent or less of their students, and you know there's such fixation on getting into a select number of students. You know, so if by talking about pathways beyond parish that are a broader set of colleges, and universities, or even a broader set of experiences beyond parish that aren't college, if we can in doing that demystify the notion of one's um, success as a person and as a student, as a parent, being hinged on where they get accepted to college, then I think we're gonna have a healthier, um, deeper, richer learning experience here. And I think that's, it. in the end, that's that's part of it. We've been so beholden to a very narrow band or narrow set of pathways to get to have a position at a company like TI. You know? Now you would tell me, TI is still pretty hiring on a pretty narrow band. We go to good colleges, at least in the United States, to hire good people. But I'm also hearing you say, landscape may be shifting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, yes. And, and maybe it's a narrow, but it, and I would say it's, in some ways it's also pretty broad. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that I think when, when um, students are trying to choose that school and think they're going to pick the perfect one and the perfect place, and the day after you start your job, no one talks about where you went to school anymore. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. And I just don't think people realize right. that, you know, it isn't, I mean, it isn't the number one thing people think about is what you do. It's what you can bring. Mm-hmm. And all those experiences, you know, kind of play to that, not just the school itself. Exactly. Um, but no one, other than, in, other than if you're talking to somebody from your school, no one ever talks about it again. They just don't. I tell people, I tell to parents all the time, I said, you go to your board meeting this afternoon at your corporation, or you go to the uh, volunteer uh, meeting on the board you sit on at your church or your vestry organization, whatever the case may be, you know, you don't, you don't see a neon sign flashing across the forehead of the person across me and saying, I went to school X, Y, or Z. You know, what, what those people are looking at is, if something has to get done on this body of volunteers or professionals in the next month, is that person going to deliver? Does that person have a track record of delivering delivering results? And so again, we get so fixated on the paper, right? But in the end of the day, it's about what you can do. And really, as we look at, at, at Parish as a place that's moving toward 
mastery-based assessments, this notion of demonstrating competency, not just getting a stamp of a grade on the top of a page. A lot of it is driven by the fact that we think the world is a results-oriented world, not a results-oriented world in terms of grade and GPA, but a results-oriented world in, in saying, show me what you know. And show what you can, and show me what you, uh, what, what you, what you can do. So, uh, we appreciate you coming and sharing some of your wisdom of that uh, big, gnarly, complex global society out there. I, I, I think even hearing you say you don't just hire from American colleges, right, should have us all pick, uh, perk our ears up to the notion that our kids uh, in this country are competing uh, in a global landscape, uh, and that's uh, both harrowing, uh, but but also should be. Uh, affirming for us in terms of uh, pushing our kids here through uh, you know we think is a great program to get them ready for for the world the, the world that lies out there so thanks for your time as mom and professional today <laughs> oh thank you Dave <laughs> I've enjoyed it <laughs> I know like uh, like going to the dentist thanks for being with us Darla we appreciate it oh, thank you okay, bye. thank you for listening to this edition of the from my angle podcast please share it with your friends and colleagues in your network I appreciate your interest in our topics this year hinged to the theme of perspective. I look forward to bringing you a special episode or two this summer, but in the meantime, please have a wonderful break from the school routine and look forward to season three of From My Angle coming back to you in August. Take care, everyone.